Okay, we are in Sefer Daniel, Perig Yud Aleph, Pasuk Lamed Aleph, Zroim Mimenu Yamdu Rechilalu Hamikdash. So yesterday we ended with Pasuk Lamed, which described the king of the north, who we have learned over the last two prokim, is the families of Seleucid and Antiochus. We learned that Antiochus IV, that is the Antiochus of Hanukkah fame, is now turning his sights to Yerushalayim, towards the temple, towards the rebellious Hashemonayim and the Jews who are defying him, and is going to teach them a lesson. And indeed, Lamed Aleph, which we will start with today, starts Uzroimi Menu, his army, his um, generals, now stood and the Chilalu Hamikdash destroyed the base Hamikdash, the Hesiru Hatamid removed the Tamid, the Nasna Hashikutz Mishalmon, and filled the temple with abominations. So you would think, quite logically, this is a continuation of Pasuk Lamed, that Antiochus is carrying out his intentions against Israel. But you would be wrong, because despite the logic, most, if not all, of the Mephorshim from Rashi, from Malbin, from Barbanel, say that what we are doing here is not continuing with Antiochus's vengeance on the Jews and the temple, but we are fast-forwarding to Rome. We are going to Titus and Vespasian. Why? Because Daniel already has learned through a vision what happens with Antiochus and the Greeks. And the purpose of these visions, say the Mephorshim, isn't to teach us history, Rather, it's to explain the visions, those very complicated visions that Daniel got. Who's the animal with the ten horns? Which one is the leopard? And so now we are flashing ahead to the days of the Romans. And that's where we pick up Lamed Aleph and filtering it through that, that it is the Romans, not Antiochus and the Greeks, we start with Zroimi Menu Yamdu, and from him the soldiers stood, the Hilalu Hamikdash, they desecrated the temple, Hamaoz, the Hesiru Hatamid, they desecrated the fortified uh, temple, and they took away the Korban Tamid, the Nasnu Hashikutz Mishmam, and put the Shikutzim, the abominations within the temple. So we know that the Romans did exactly that. Um, they abolished the Tamid three and a half years before the Churban, um, and the abominations. We know that Hadrian, the Roman emperor, put in gods and idols in the place of the Beis Hamikdash before it was destroyed. Moreover, what fits into the narrative, Hilu Hamikdash Hamaos, the fortified temple. Temple based Abayashani wasn't fortified until Herod. Herod built a fortification tower, and that is what they attacked. So again, this is the Romans. Umashia brisya hanif bachalakos, the amyo de elohav yaksiku vaasu. And so, yes, they, through their wickedness, um, they would 
flatter those who violated the covenant. There's rewards for those who disobeyed their Jewish religion because we know that the Romans signed a treaty. We learned that in the beginning of Daniel, that they signed a seven-year treaty with the Jewish leadership, which they, the Romans, abrogated halfway through. But what it did was gull the people into a form of, you know, everything's going to be fine. However, uh, while the Rishonim flattered them into submission, Am those who knew the Kaddish Baruch those who uh, held steadfast to their faith, strengthened themselves and did what they had to. And this is in Roman times, and it is as well in our exile. We always have Chachamim to lead us in the right direction. Here we mention Yochanan ben Zakkai, who guided the people through the yeshiva of Yavne itself, and what they did was strengthen them. At the same time, these people are subject to terrible martyrdom. They fall to the sword, the flame, b'shevi, captivity, and the destruction of their days. So it's not without a risk that these gedolim try to galvanize Bnei Israel at the same time they expose themselves to a terrible martyrdom. Um, and there the wise men try to help. And yet they are deceived, they are deceptive, they try to... Um, listen to what the Romans are telling them in coming in peace, but it's not true. Um, there's a glibness. They fall to the glibness, and they are taken by the smooth talking of their enemy. Lamed And even among the wise men, there is a tendency, as we've seen, to try and calculate at ace kates. When is this all going to end? And so they see they go into a period of useless calculations when the case is coming, when the Mashiach is coming, and it's not going to work. They're all going to fail. Why? It is the Kaddish Baruch Hu to select the time and not them. And so it's going to come to naught. Now we take an even more interesting leap forward and they do what the king wants done. Who is the king? We have fast-forwarded, according to the Mephoshim, to Constantine the Great, the emperor of Rome who adopts Christianity. We are now facing Christianity in the Catholic Church. And so what he does is he establishes Christianity as the the official religion of Rome, uh, and he exalts himself above all gods, and he speaks of wonderment, meaning things that you never contemplated, he conceives for the Catholic Church, specifically 
the uh, virgin birth of Jesus is doctrine. The Trinity is doctrine. The resurrection is doctrine. All become part of the dogma of the Catholic Church under Constantine, and it's of course ratified at the Convention of Nicaea uh, later on, and that is what the Catholicism dogma is today. And it is Constantine. And what he does, he speaks niflos, wonders. No one ever heard of these things. And he proceeds to just take over the entire thing, exalting himself. And the fathers of his father's religion, now it could be even what was part of the paganism of you know, Rome, it could also mean Elokeavosav, the gods of Israel. He establishes a religion that has absolutely no connection. And on the beauty of women, and all their gods, he does not uh, understand. Because he has elevated himself overall. What is the Chemdas Noshim? Two things. One shot is. We metaphorize the Jewish religion to a beautiful woman. The relationship of the Kaddish Baruch Hu to his people is like a groom to a bride. One shot. A more likely shot is that under the Catholic Church, the priests practice celibacy. There's no room for women. In other words, it's a celibate religion, and no one can defy him. Elokama uzim alkano he respects no religion that went before it, and as for this religion, he mechabeds it. As we know, the Catholic Church collects the money, and you've got to remember in medieval Europe, the Catholic Church was the most powerful institution, political and religious there was. There were papal states. They owned lands. Uh, kings of France and other states trembled before the Catholic Church. And so they amassed a tremendous amount of wealth. They made fortresses uh, in their buildings. We know the churches were built as Fortresses. under a God you would not recognize. And they give kavod to many. In other words, it was not the degree of your religiosity as much as it was your either political connection or your wealth connection that you received honor from the Catholic Church. Those who were selected, those who were picked, and they owned tremendous amounts of feudal land, and they, had, they gave it out or sold it to those who were most loyal to them. They gave it out as indulgences, and that's how they practiced the religion. Now, we're going to come to the last five sukkim that it doesn't matter what interpretation you give 
because it is so obscure and so defies a logical interpretation. This is a perfect example of what the Rambam says. We're not going to know what they're talking about until we find out. In the interim, don't waste a, a brain cell, as it were, trying to figure out the meaning here, because it adds nothing to our Jewish religion. Obviously, in a way, they're talking about the case, the ending could be go gumago, but the symbol, the metaphor could absolutely mean anything. But let's give it a try. Pasuk Mem, and in the end, the case is that famous time, could be the end of days, could be go gumago, and that's just the case isn't an instant. The case could be over a thousand years. Some could argue even we've had Gogumogo, or at least the first phase. Uveis Kosi they will gore Amo Melech We're continuing with the metaphor of the king of the south, the king of the north. In our Prakim, king of the north was Antiochus and Seleucus. The king of the south was Talmai of Egypt. Here, we're not sure. The south, the Ibn Ezra has his shot. Now remember, the Ibn Ezra grew up in Muslim lands under Arab control. To him, we're talking nothing less than the Islamic revolution, that the Islamics are now taking over their part of the world, and that is the king of the south. By Yisrael of Melachatzophon, and they come to Melech HaTzofon. Melech HaTzofon could be anybody. The interpretations range from, from Russia today to North Korea with the atomic bomb. But in any case, they clash with chariots and soldiers who want Neil's boats, Rabos, and they traverse through each other's land. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> there's an interesting gra, an obscure gra, where he says that the battle of Gog and Magog took or takes 12 minutes, which we've seized upon the interpretation. It's nuclear warfare. It's the nuclear age. How do we know it's not Hiroshima or Nagasaki? Or it's the Holocaust. This could all fit in. Your interpretation is about as good as anything else. Ubaba Aretz Hatsvi, but what we agree on, these warring nations in Gogumago will come to the land of the Tzvi. land of the Tzvi, we have said, is synonymous with Israel. Many will fall there. The And they will flee. And this is very mystical. And they will flee Edom, Moab, and the choicest of Ammon. One, there is no land of Edom, land of Moab, land of Ammon now uh, in this period. So what are they talking about? Who escapes? Why do they escape? We don't know. And they will rule over all the gold and the silver and the treasures of Mitzrayim and the Luvim and the Kushim in their steps. They will conquer them. Again, the Luvim could be Libyans. The Kushim we know could be Ethiopia. 
They're going to conquer them. Ushmuos yivhalumi mizrach umitzafon, and news will suddenly come out of the east and from the north. This has been interpreted as even as obscure as Hitler's conquest of Europe and the rest of the world, and suddenly Shmuel Shivhalu Mimizra, voices distract him from the east, could be the Russian invasion, which ultimately um, destroys the Nazi regime. And this has been offered as an interpretation. In other words, it is so obscure, it is so far-fetched, that the Chachamim have offered interpretations, but it's as good as any. So the Yotza Bechema Gedola, the Hashmidullahim Rabim, and they come out to destroy and kill many. And they pitch their tents between the sea, meaning the Mediterranean, which means the Mount of Yerushalayim, and there are those who have gone as far as to predict, could it be Gaza? Gaza's between the Mediterranean and Yerushalayim. Could be the seeds of destruction. But in the end, they are going to be repelled, and they are going to sink or die without a trace, without anyone to come to their aid. So you see, the last five sukkim are very obscure, and to the point where, as we've said, the Rambam says, don't even bother learning them, because It'll happen when it'll happen. You gain nothing by trying to discern what the symbolism is, what the metaphors are. And so we conclude that part of the vision with one more parrot to go in Zaniel. And if you think today was obscure, tomorrow will feature the advent of Trias Hamesim, how one interprets the revival, the resurrection of the dead. You will not want to miss it. 8.45 a.m. tomorrow, Ad Khan.